a few things to talk about today. I know one of the big things that we wanted to get into was uh, some of the, it's almost like some of the crazy things that, uh, that, that strength and conditioning coaches say, kind of, because uh, we have a lot, of, a lot of athletes that we work with who have worked with other people um, or a lot of times go away to college or go away to a high school program and uh, they come and they go to work with you. But in the meantime, you realize the plan that they've been put on has, uh, is definitely not something you write up. Am I wrong with that? Definitely not something I've been, yeah, so sometimes definitely they are be doing programs at school that I wouldn't necessarily agree with. Um, so, yeah, definitely, definitely correct about that. And I know, Paul, you had a ton. Like, you, you shot us over, like, three or four examples. Uh, you know, obviously not naming any names, but there was some stuff that, that's been sent your way that was uh, just, again, in some cases, I think when we looked it over, we couldn't figure it out. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a, a slippery slope sometimes when you're training an athlete that you only see four months of the year. They're at college eight months out of the year. So, uh, you know, it, it makes you consider altering your program to almost prepare them for what the heck they're about to do at school, but also educate them so that they can protect themselves. Now, have you guys ever found that an individual had to – meet certain requirements of a test that made no sense for the sport, but you realized that it was an important test so that they could get the playing time they needed to get. So you actually trained them to accomplish that specific goal. Uh, John, let's start with you. Is that one you've ever had, ever done for someone? Yeah, unfortunately, um, part of our job is to get them ready, right, for whatever it is that their coach requires them. Um, yeah, we can try to be in our sort of bubble and say, oh, this is what I like doing, this is what I agree with. But unfortunately, because we're in a private sector, we also have to take into account what they need to prepare for, uh, even if we don't necessarily agree with it, which kind of sucks. Can you give me one? So I'm always going back to you because, uh, you know, you had the, the, the big-time uh, football experience. What – what parameters did you have to hit when you came in? Did, you, did they ever have you say, all right, when you come in right before, uh, you know, camp starts, we expect you to be here? Um, no, there was no real parameters. Um, but the one thing we did do, which is crazy, we only did it one time. There's a reservoir uh, next to Boston College's campus, and we had to run around that reservoir one time. It was just a random thing. The reservoir is like three miles long. I don't, like, I play receiver, like, I don't know what are we running around. But I tell you what, literally 50% of the kids on the team that ran it, our low backs were just fried for, like, a couple of days. Because when you start – when you're not used to running that long, you start leaning back, getting all this uh, lower back lumbar compression. Um, and then we, we were just fried, dude. And we told our strength coach that was the last time we did it, so – Good thing he uh, lots of the big, fast, explosive guys, too, tend to have that, that little back arch anyway. So, you know, you have someone yeah. who's used to being in extension, and a lot of the exercise yeah. they do are in extension, and then now you got them running, and they get tired, and they're like, right. they feel more comfortable in extension. Yeah, dude. Yeah, we were all fried, man. It was it was bad. All right, Paul, so if you got a story about a, a test you had a hit, or since uh, you've been uh, you've been money – on the uh, on, on our little knowledge bomb uh, stream we got going on. If you got a story you want to tell, um, you know, shoot it our way about like maybe some kind of parameters that uh, a coach was expecting an athlete to hit. 
Yeah. Well, it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's difficult to not use the word sports specific in this realm, but, you know, I had a baseball kid who the two of the main four tests he had to test on were the mile and the barbell bench press one rep max. And I sat there, you know, I can, I, I had 12 weeks with this kid to prepare him for this. And I knew that's not the route I wanted to go. Um, but I needed to get him ready because as a coach in college, I think they're looking for the athletes to read what they send out, to prepare for it, and to do it and complete it. Again, it's the play on the field that's going to dictate how much time they get, how many at-bats he's going to get. But this one individual probably ran a 2-5, 20-yard dash and you know had a 36-inch vertical, but he never barbell bench pressed with me because he had the tightest shoulders and it wasn't the best exercise for him but I needed to teach him the movement because he was going to do it. If I didn't get him ready to do that test and he told the strength coach or his sports coach, I've never done that. Then he didn't follow directions. He didn't do what was asked of him. And that's the battle right there as a performance coach in the private sector. We try our best to educate the athletes on what's right for them. But at the same time, if the team is going to do something, um, they have to be ready for it. And he crushed the mile. We ran it three times. That was it. He scored, a, I think, a 225, one rep max bench press. And that was stellar for him. He weighs 175 pounds. But I told him before going, know your limitations. Know this isn't how you're going to get on the field, but know what you have to do to be a teammate. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I ended up having an athlete in high school that uh, I happen to know that he was given a modified FBI test. I know this because I've trained FBI or want to be FBI agents to become FBI agents. And it was the exact same test. So I, I remember uh, just looking this over and like, you know, my first question was, well, who's your coach, you know, and uh, you know, and, and after getting a little more information, I had a pretty good understanding that this was a first time coach. And I think what he was trying to do was instill some level of discipline. Um, you know, ironically for the sport, you know, it's, you know, a basketball athlete. I, I didn't really see where the sit-ups came into play. <laughs> you know, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not really big. I don't really care how many push-ups they can do that much. I and mean, I want them to do a good push-up. But anyway, you know, a lot of it was energy system based. Um, you know, I think it was a, a mile and a half run was what we had to go to. Uh, and then there was like a, a variation of a sprint. I forget exactly what it was. It was a three, an odd, I think it was like a 300 meter, which was, one of the ones that I think they were looking at for that one. But, uh, you know, it just, just to be able to help an individual out like that and be able to, I think the strategy was the most important component because a lot of what I was doing was still trying to get this athlete ready to be the best they could be once they actually started practicing, you know, like once you get into your scrimmages, I wanted this at, cause this guy like staying in the tunnel, no chance, you know, like totally up tall, you know, it was the idea of pushing to try to get in the direction they wanted to get into. None of that was there. But at the same time, I had to work this like, you know, this uh, this basic, you know, horizontal, slow running in just to make sure that I could get that that athlete to do what they, they needed to do so that the, the coach could feel like they took the test seriously. So I definitely understand what you're saying, Paul, when they give you when they give an athlete parameters like that, it's important that the athlete shows up and takes it seriously, especially when it's at that level. Yeah. And it, and it, going off that, it's it's, you know, say. Another example is a field hockey girl I have who, you know, she has speed. She, her 5'10", 5 score is sub 4'4". Four, four. 
but she has scoliosis. And when she deadlifts, she doesn't deadlift here, but when she deadlifts, it's painful. There's no variation that worked. And they had a deadlift test at school that you need to deadlift two times your body weight. And I told her, I was like, you have to have this conversation. You need to speak to this coach and explain that this is not the best way to test me. I'll even film a video of you doing your body weight in Bulgarian split squats for six reps each leg and prove how strong you are. But it's, it's something that I think if some collegiate sports do do this, but if you took the time to do a screen on these athletes and built individualized tests, you have four years with these athletes. Don't treat it like you have to get a test them right away because you do percentage-based training. You have four years. Do an assessment day. Do, take two hours just to get to know each athlete and then find the best three tests for them. Mm. So, and that, that brings a good point up. So I've read a few books on this, and I definitely could say that there are organizations, or I should say there are some schools that have coaches that have actually talked more about the difference between a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. And, and actually it seems like they've made, they've made an attempt to try to, try to, to, to work more on what the, the training age is, that whole thing. But at the same time, I think, you know, as you were describing, that's not everybody. Um, that's not everybody at all. And I think because we have these different coaches with different perspectives, it gets a little bit dangerous. Um, John, was that, for, I guess, you know, the two questions I have for you, number one is for you, are you in a situation where you have athletes right now that like they're, they're in the, the, the college level right now? Have you seen more of that or are you seeing more high school? And with mm -hmm. that, I guess, well, let's start with that. What, what's your average uh, group that you're working with? It's more high school, right? So, yeah, I, I work with um, a lot of high school kids. And then I do have some kids that's in college right now um, that I train. So... I'll help them out. I'll send them stuff that they can do uh, supplemental to their training, right? That's not going to sort of uh, fry them. But also during their breaks and in the summer, they come back and we train uh, together as well. So what's the difference in strategy for a high school compared to a college athlete for you? So for high school, me personally, I'm well, for everybody, I, I like to train uh, with the long-term athletic development model. Um, but for high school, especially if they're like a freshman or even an eighth grader going into high school, like we have like a four or five year window that we can actually take our time, like Paul was saying, getting the assessments, starting them from uh, base level and building them up. Um, so that's like the main difference for college, for my guys personally. I'm just trying to teach them. Uh, they'll show me their program, send me their program, and I just give them tips on like how to stay safe. I think that's the number one thing in a college weight room setting, giving the athletes that you work with tips on how to stay safe. Like just because everyone's throwing weight around don't mean you have to control the weight, dude. Um, use proper form. Uh, make sure you're going full range of motion, all that type of stuff. Just keeping that in their head because when you're in that environment, already lived it. When you're in that environment, it's very easy to just like let all those things go out the window. And before you know it, you got all these nagging injuries. And we, we all know you don't want to get hurt in the weight room. Like, that's just silly. So Now, you have a few collegiate-level athletes. Is there any program that, that seemed a little better than another? Like, have you seen some that look a little bit more like a, you know, like a, a John Coleman model compared to another? Or are they all pretty similar? Uh, unfortunately, most of the programs are all similar. Um, my approach to training athletes is a little unique, so I understand, but, um, 
they're all pretty much similar. They, they follow even an Olympic lifting uh, sort of protocol or powerlifting protocol. For the most part, it, it seems like they start with the big lift, like a squat bench or dead, and then you have your accessories. That's just the basic sort of format I've seen. Um, and then in terms of movement training, like speed, agility, change direction, from what I hear from my athletes, it's like minimal to none. <laughs> yes. It's you know, so. funny to hear that. Yeah. That's why I asked. I, yeah. I don't hear a lot of that. Yeah. And we talk so. about this concept of transfer, you know me, like that's one of my favorite things to get into. And we talk yeah. about how sports specific doesn't necessarily mean transfer, right? But at right. the same time, there's this little component of like, well, if the only time your athletes are going to run is when they get on the field and you're going to do a bunch of sagittal plane motions uh, and get them really strong, I don't really know how one transfers the other. Mm-hmm. Like it well, seems like there's that linking thing that just like is totally disregarded. Yeah, you need something. Um, so I've been on like two sides of the equation where I was like in a setting where we did speed training, like that was like 80% of our training and then strength training was like 20%. Then I've been in a situation where we did mostly strength and then barely any speed. And what I'm finding is that especially in this sort of upcoming generation and I guess the one before, like a lot of kids are like movement illiterate is what I call it. Like they just don't know how to move. So yeah, we can do strength training and things like, and I used to believe this man, like, man, just get them stronger. Like they'll be good. Like they, they're running at practice. They're running during their sport. Um, they're playing outside, which is like not even a thing anymore. But uh, what I found is that we'll do strength training. Then I'll take them out uh, to move. And like, they can't move. It's crazy. Like we're talking about same arm, same leg type stuff. Uh, don't know how to sink their hips when they're shuffling, bouncing up and down, like crazy stuff that you wouldn't even think. So I think you need to include both and the college level seems to lack it. Uh, I've seen some guys on like Instagram that does great stuff, but for the most part, uh, they don't touch on it, you know. No, I appreciate your opinion there. Uh, And again, I'll say this, and I'll send this to you guys. So uh, did you guys listen to Lee Taft's um, interview with Parisi? With who? All right, so Lee, Lee Taft did an interview with, I think it's Bill Parisi. If I got oh, it wrong. Parisi, Parisi. Bill, Bill Parisi, I think, is his name, yeah. but it's definitely Parisi. Yeah. Um, look, I've heard Parisi talk before. He always seems educated. This one was awesome. He was talking about fascia. And he gave a really yeah. cool example of how when you take an athlete, say in wrestling, and you get a guy who's, like, made in the weight room who's just, like, totally jacked, totally chiseled, and then you get one of those farm boys who's, like, probably has less definition just doesn't really have that kind of look, but he's been moving bales of hay and been doing all of like the strength work that you would do in that kind of operation. He -hmm. talks about how those guys end up being the baddest dudes you're ever going to see because it's, Mm -hmm. it's the fascia. It's the fact that you're moving in different ways and you're, you're forcing your body to build certain kinds of patterns. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where a lot of this speed and agility work really comes in. It's if you, if all the athletes did was that, right. Then us making them stronger, and creating like a bigger engine would really make the difference. Is you could spend a lot of time on building this big engine, but realistically, they don't build any of those patterns because they don't practice it. So then you don't have that opportunity to be able to stimulate, obviously your nervous system, but actually stimulate the fascia to move in these really creative ways, like where tag 
and, and, and things of that nature tended to play in, you know, kill the man with the ball. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid playing with bigger dudes, I started to figure things out, you know, <laughs> you didn't always want to get crushed, you know? So I think that yeah. was, you know, that allowed me to be able to be slightly evasive, uh, probably more evasive than a guy with uh, my genetics should have allowed. Yeah. Um, so one thing I, that I talk about with the athletes all the time, like I say, listen, man, my job, my, one of my jobs is to help you build options. Like, dude, we got to build your options list. So, yeah, you play baseball and you you may or may not do this, but. Hey, come on in, guys. Good. Good. Sorry, my fault. I got to oh. someone knock on this door. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to build up your options as an athlete so you become more nah. well-rounded. Like you said, if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, um, you become super one-dimensional, and I, I don't think that's good for athletes, you know? Yeah, and I, and I was saying it the other day to an athlete, you know, it's better to build someone to be an athlete and then teach them a skill than to go the other way. If you right. teach them a skill or you yeah. teach them how to get strong and then you try to build an athlete into that new frame that just doesn't move well, it's tough. It's really tough because you got to actually regress a ton. And I think that's why, again, we always say the long-term athletic development, but the athletes that play multiple sports, they adapt so fast in the gym. They are so strong so fast, and they see the improvements right away because they can do so much. Man, I got these kids. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I got these kids in a, uh, in a basketball gym that I'm working with that are quote-unquote baseball players, but they're all athletes. You guys have seen my posts. But it's fun because I've been, like, having them run up and, like, try to grab rim, try to grab the net, try to touch the backboard, right, and be expressive. Because it's funny, like, I've seen some baseball players do some really impressive things where they're, like, able to, like, pull a ball that's, like, hit, hit off the ground first. And they're able to, like, jump up, pull it out mm -hmm. of the air, that kind of thing. And to me, like, I think giving them the opportunities to be a lot more free and not, like, forcing that athlete to be, like, in that, you know, bent over stance, like they do in their sport forever. And then only when it's, when a ball bounces up, do they have the opportunity to make it? I think you want to try to let them be expressive and, you know, do the star jumps. And, you know, I don't know. I was watching uh, the Tony Holler, like the cat jumps with the 360. I mean, I mean, if they can do it, you know, let them play around a little bit. Let them, let them explore those things. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a big, actually, I am a big fan of tumbling and I'm not too afraid of the idea of like, if you give them a little bit of an opportunity to do some gymnastics or something like that, I think some of the expression you get there is actually kind of cool too, because at least those people know how to fall. If you had a skateboard kid, they usually don't get hurt when they're playing other sports. We'd have got our basketball team that was really quick. And he was also a skateboarder, but when he would get like, like smashed into when he would like go to the lane, he never got hurt. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just one of those things. Yeah. Like a big thing is like uh, giving athletes what they don't get, like give them, give them opposite of what they normally do. And then, so if they're over here, right, if they're over on the left and, and uh, what they do opposites over on the right, like they'll marry together and then they'll be uh, more complete, you know? So given what they don't get is a big one as well. Yeah, and I always say, you know, I leave 20% of my day to let the athletes be athletic. You know, whatever it is you're doing for speed work, for strength training, yes, I understand the strength training is needs to be more structured and specific for volume, but we introduce a lot of coach doses, chaos training, you know, you're one human, you're the other. Don't let him get you, you know, 10 seconds, evade them and just watch how they move. If you see an athlete that plays one sport or you see an athlete who lacks the ability, they're not too good at those drills. 
but they progress and they get better because you're just tapping into a new, like you said, the far right side of the spectrum. You're just tapping into it and introducing it to them. Mm. Yo, one of the coolest drills, and maybe we'll meet up, Sock. We could we could do it together. This might be good for your speed games, uh, Eric. Uh, we put like these little flags uh, in the side hip of their like uh, shorts or something, and all the uh, other athlete needs to do is try to get both flags. Like it's it's freaking fun. The kids get after. It's like it's like almost tag, but it's like I, we call it grab flag. So it's pretty cool. Like it gets super intense and you get to see what athletes know how to move versus what athletes don't. And, and it's cool as they get better, they start strategizing like, dude, that's sports, you know? So, so John, that was the start of speed games, flag tag. Yeah. Okay. That like that's a hundred percent my jam. And uh, okay. what, what I, and that was it. Like I was just doing that with general pop. Yeah. And then I was hearing a lot of general pop go, yo, I wish my kid would do this because they don't have recess. Mm -hmm. And that was mm -hmm. when it started to brainstorm to me where I was like, yeah, and I'm already doing these workouts with kids in, in this, uh, this middle school and high school. Why mm -hmm. not? You know, and, mm -hmm. but it, it's just a lot of fun. And I also tend to believe that like a lot of the adults who do this in my, in my sessions, I feel like they're more bulletproof, but also I've been having a lot of kids pop in and it's, it's been cool to see that kids change the dynamic of what we do in speed games. I don't want to jump too off too far off the topic on that, but what's so great about kids are like, it's like once kids are there, the adults cut loose, but also nowadays the adults don't understand why the kids need so much instruction on the games because we all grew up with like a gym teacher who'd go like, all right, uh, you know, so take this ball here and you, there's these three buckets and try to get it in these buckets and don't get tagged and you just do it. Now right. you get these kids who you bring that up and they were like, uh well like which bucket and like right, 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 right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and like if i do it like uh how do i tag the person and yeah, like yeah, and you're yeah. like just do it do it right right <laughs> right yeah well yeah. yeah yeah that's but, you because know, they're so that's because they're so i found that too man because they're so used to being told what to do like man i tell every every kid like dude i started taking a subway in new york city at age 10 like Dude, you just figure stuff out. Like now, the kids are like. But you were like six two at that point, so that doesn't really count as much. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, they're just so used to being told what to do. I, I try to give the kids autonomy. You know what I mean? Like, dude, figure it out yourself. Like sometimes they'll ask me, uh, so what does this mean? I'm like, first of all, you've done that before. Secondly, you need to figure it out on your own. You know what I mean? Um, I think that's that'll help them tremendously down the road. But, yeah, and that, you know, again, that's maybe one of the things that like we get a chance to do. And you know, look, we don't have a uh, head coach breathing down our necks too. And that's one thing that I wanted to say. We were talking about uh, our, you know, the strength coaches, and I think honestly, we really haven't even jumped too far into that. But when we're talking about strength coaches, and when we're going in and looking at some of these programs, the other issue that we sometimes have to deal with is we can be a little more free, and a lot of times we can go to the parents if the parents have a question, and we can explain it, and usually the parents get it. When you have a coach that basically says, I need my athletes to be here and I've been doing it this long and I have an expectation that this is this is how it's done, it's tough to go to them and say, yeah, but, you know, you're, the guys, the kids that you have here aren't that expressive. We should introduce in uh, a more, you know, I guess a more creative environment so that they can thrive, right? The coach might be like, look, that's a hippie talk, right? I don't need creativity here. I need workhorses. That's what I want, you know? And then what is it? We talk about that whole thing. There's workhorses and then there's uh, what, like the thoroughbreds, you know? Like, yeah. you know, we want to have the speed guys, you know? And I think for those guys, you know, they require a little bit of a different approach. 
Well, I, I see that too with the, uh, with the athletes. The one thing we can't do as private sector coaches is try to battle them because we can educate our athletes. But if we teach our athletes that the strength coach doesn't know what he's doing, she doesn't know what she's doing, they're going to break you, then they're going to go to school and either repeat that back or they're going to not buy in. And if you have an athlete not buying into a program, I don't care if it's yours or someone else's, they're not going to get better. So we have to find a way like to marry the two together so that we can, you know, build trust in the strength coach, but also educate the athlete. Like John said, like, Hey, when you're in the gym, control the weight down. I don't care what Jimmy, Tommy and Bill are doing. I want you to do it how we did it, but you have to trust that that strength coach is going to take care of you. Take care of yourself, but you got to put faith in the head strength coach. And it's kind of on us to build that faith in the athlete. Yeah. Teach them enough not to get hurt kind of thing, but at the same time, so teach them that they need to respect uh, those that are realistically there for, you know, to help them. But also if they're not showing that level of respect, they can actually be a hindrance. And trust me, they have gone over the edge and I've blown up and I've had to like take two steps back, pull the athlete back into my office and say, Hey, so I know I kind of went off the deep end there a little bit, but, uh, but I just care about you and I want to see you succeed and I want to see you healthy. Um, this is one thing I wanted to, well, John, do you have anything you want to add to that? No, no, you can, we can move on. Okay. So one of the things I wanted to, to bring up was this. Um, I, I've run into an issue with a couple of athletes, um, more collegiate than anything else, that it, it seems like a lot of the time spent is, as we were saying, there's not a lot of individuality to it, right? Mm -hmm. So when you have someone who's coming back from an injury, even they kind of get thrown into uh, the, the same, you know, the same protocol. It just might be a little bit uh, slower. What do you guys do when you have an athlete who's coming off an injury? Um, and, and when you guys are working them back up, I mean, imagine if you guys are in the offseason, you, you guys get a chance to do that. What are some of the, the things that you would tell them when they get, uh, get back into the, uh, you know, into the weight room setting at school? Like, what are some of the do's and don'ts? Mm -hmm. Um, that's pretty tough because like you just alluded to, for the most part, everyone's doing a one size fits all program. Everyone's doing the same. Um, so the first thing I would do is, uh, if the athlete has enough courage, all right, that's another thing, man. Sometimes when you're young and you're in a team environment, it's, it's hard to go to your strength coach, you know, cause first of all, if you play football, what's the first thing you're going to think? Oh, you're being soft, you know? So, which is a terrible culture anyway. So if you got the courage to go to your strength coach and your strength coach is willing to listen, then you need to talk to your strength coach and get a modified program. And if they don't, if they're not going to give you a modified program, then geez, uh, maybe the next place to go to is the, the head coach or the training or, or, the, or the training staff. You know what I mean? Um, hopefully your school has a training staff that works with the strength coach um, I've been in two situations uh, with different strength coaches in college where one of the guys had a good relationship with the training uh, staff and the other guy didn't. So when it didn't, when guys were hurt, it was like it wasn't a good situation. So it, it, it depends. It depends on where you are, to be honest. You know. So you're saying definitely reach out if you can. You know, that's one of the first steps would be 
reach out, communicate, which I think is something that we as coaches need to do anyway. I think we, our job is to try to get our, our athletes, even when they're young, to be able to get them to feel comfortable enough to articulate right. their ideas and then right. explain why it is that's a skill set that could possibly make them a leader on the field. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, somebody who's doing something like that, them just showing that level of courage maybe to a, to a strength and conditioning coach might be enough to get other athletes to speak up because, right. let's face it, again, most strength and conditioning coaches aren't there to hurt you. They actually want to help. So I think sometimes just reminding that coach that, like, hey, look, I don't know that I can do these things or I'm coming off this injury or I don't have the same kind of level of confidence or whatever have you, you know, sometimes it's giving that coach the opportunity to, like, show you that he actually cares or she actually cares. And then if that's not the case, like you said, maybe then move it up the, up the chain a little bit because it is that important. You know, again, collegiate athlete only has four, maybe five years. You know, if you get yourself hurt in the weight room, that's the one thing we should never be doing, right? Yeah. So it seems like it would make sense to try to do everything you do to avoid that. So I think that's great advice there, John. Um, you have anything there to, with that, Paul? Yeah. Um, I always, with my seniors in high school, and if there's ever an injury involved, I reach out to the school. I contact the strength coach. If they don't call back, I'll contact the trainer, especially if it's an injury. But the reason is to kind of create that line of communication so that there is no missing step. You know, we had a girl who was coming off an ACL injury and she was going back to fall season, but played lacrosse and was only going to be about six months out. So she wasn't, you know, going into play, but she was basically full go on lifts. But the problem was because she wasn't out on the field practicing, this, the training staff, um, the strength coaches on the floor, just pushed her to the side. They said, you're hurt. You can't lift with the team. But there was plenty that she could do. She knew she could do it. So what we ended up doing was I kind of told her, hey, if they push you to the side, here's what you can do. I educated her on the things that she couldn't do and kind of showed her what she could until that training staff came around and talked to the strength coaches, which actually took about two weeks. So unfortunately – there is this lack of communication sometimes, but it's, uh, it's important to kind of bring everybody in together, make sure we're all on the same page so that we're doing what's best for the athlete. This isn't about me versus you. This isn't about me knowing more than you or you knowing more than me. It's about the athlete. Right. No, I think it's a good point there. It's, uh, we, I mean, we have to check our, our ego. That's a big part. Like I said, Make, uh, make alliances, which it sounds like you've done a good job over there, Paul, you know, making alliances with, uh, you know, with the other coaches, the other staff. Um, but I think it's also, too, like when we talk about these injuries that these athletes are, are getting, especially if they got hurt playing, you know, playing the actual sport, I think we just have to explain to the athletes themselves that, like, they need to be a little bit more educated about what actually happened, too. You know, I, I think that's one of the things, like, do you guys spend time uh, breaking down the injuries that, that they have? You ever like talk with them about your understanding of the injury and then essentially what the injury stops them from doing. And then from there, like things that like you were saying uh, on your end, Paul, like things that they can do. Like when, when you break those things down, do you explain it sort of from a time period too? like right now you can do this. This is the reason why. And then, you know, down the road, I expect you to be able to do this. And then we should be able to work into this. Does it, does it work that way for you, Paul? Yeah, because I first explained to them that, you know, nothing's really linear unless it's, you know, a specific bone break or any kind of injury like that. But when you're treating an injury, 
it's more about the athletes feel on an exercise that's going to help them progress to the next level. And once an athlete, again, understands where they're at, they get to the next step a lot faster. And if they don't understand the difference between soreness and pain, um, it's going to cause a delay. It's going to cause a hesitation in that athlete. We have a girl who had an OCD lesion, not a common injury in her knee. And the problem is she just got reintroduced to lunges, squats, and knee flexion exercises past 90 degrees. She's extremely sore. I had to sit her down and explain to her, you have not brought your knee with a loaded resistance or even your body weight to any degree near that. That soreness is just your body's response. She thought, I'll never be able to do this. But now, two weeks later, she's already progressing that. She's moving forward again. So once she understood where she was at and where she wants to get to, she's in a better place. If we never talked, she probably would have been crushed, would have been upset, and would not have been where she is today. Yeah, those talks, those talks just help the athletes get back on track. Like she was at the point where she was way off the track and you brought her back. And now she's gone. So yeah, that's, and it's going to happen important. again, probably. But oh, definitely, man, it happens just from kids, just day to day life, you know. So, um, not even talking injuries. So, yeah, I've had to have plenty of conversations with kids. Like, cool. A couple quick ones. Bring them uh, back, you know, I'll say a couple quick ones from a, the strength and conditioning perspective. So, first off, how do you guys feel about uh, functional hypertrophy for your uh, for your athletes? Just quick. Functional hypertrophy. Go ahead, go ahead, Paul. No, I mean, personally, I was going to say it, it, hypertrophy to me has changed from any kind of rep count to a specific for that athlete. Um, I use a lot more time under tension with specific movements. It's not so much about how many reps, because if you're half-assing a rep, half range of motioning a rep, or not using any load, it's going to differ. So when we're talking hypertrophy or any kind of, you know, training aspect like that, I try to, you know, gear the muscular uh, adaptation to what that athlete needs. And sometimes I wish I could put 60 seconds on an exercise and get athletes to understand that that's more important than repping out 15 push-ups as fast as you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for me, especially the high school kids, we, we all know that a lot of these kids just lack muscle. Like, that's, that's what's holding them back. Um, so time of retention, like you just mentioned, is key for me um, if we're trying to put on some some hypertrophy to the uh, athletes. Um, cool. I think I've, I've seen a lot. Of, I was going to say, I see a lot of strength and conditioning coaches. They're throwing hypertrophy in the program. But it's interesting because, you know, again, I think there's sort of a time and place for it. And I think, right. like, again, when I see programs that, you know, look like year round, it's just about being in that, like, 8, 10, 12 range. I sometimes wonder if the if the uh, actual you know ability to get the nervous system to fire quickly is even there, but yeah, that's that's been a big one I've seen with uh with a lot of these coaches and a lot of these athletes coming in. Yeah, for me, like when I train, when I train uh, athletes, I try to train like a whole like eight to twelve months in one rank, one round, um, because I feel like changing things up too fast doesn't give them the ability to adapt and like really uh, get what we want. So I'll spend like a whole eight that 12, I'll spend a whole off season on what they need. So if they need functional hypertrophy, then we'll spend a whole uh, off season on that. But that doesn't mean we're going to be doing, doing like very, very slow tempos the entire program. You know what I mean? 
the whole the whole sort of idea of the program is to put on muscle, but as we get closer to the season, and obviously we're going to do stuff that's more functional, so to speak, you know. But, cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, last part for you, Paul. Anything you want to chime in with uh, from a, a programming perspective, and then uh, we'll kind of we'll kind of wrap this thing up. I think what's difficult is a lot of coaches, myself included, go out and get a certification, and it, it states that during the test, this is the answer. And when you're training, that's not the answer all the time. Uh, you guys know the example I'm going to talk about right now is there's a college out there that's having girls trap bar deadlift four sets of 15, uh, 70% their max with only a minute of rest. And then they're doing front squats or back squats for four sets of 15 at 70% their max and only a minute of rest. Yes, if you look at a chart and it says 15 reps is 70% and you should only rest for under a minute for maximal you know, hypertrophy or muscular endurance, that's great. But they don't understand how that movement is going to damage an athlete. So let's look past numbers. Let's look past percentages. Let's look at movements and let's train these athletes better. So I think that was the whole purpose about the, the talk here and, and what we wanted to get into is uh, we as coaches, we have a chance to work with young athletes. We're trying to make, uh, you know, make changes. And I think the big fear we have is sometimes the coaches that are working with these athletes mean well, but I think are overworked or they stick to systems because it looks like it should be good on paper. And again, like uh, Paul was alluding to there, that seems like it's more likely going to hurt athletes than make them better. And we know that they're not going to be able to perform well. And that's, you know, in our mind, it's all about performance. Uh, so again, this is the uh, Youth Athletic Podcast. And, uh, you know, our goal is really just to try to put good information out there. So again, John, Paul, I thank you for your time. Looking forward to whatever we decide to come up with for next week. And uh, those of you guys listening, thank you. We appreciate it. Please.